Well, I, I'm Mrs. Voorhees. All right, everybody, welcome back to Living Dead Queers with Clinton and Billy, and we got a classic for you guys today. We are talking about the original Friday the 13th, so I know Billy's excited for this one tonight. Out of all the movies, I think this one's probably, honestly, still the best one for me. <laughs> I thought part three was your number one. I mean, part three is my favorite for a few things, but I think in terms of like an actual film... The original's got to be the best one. <laughs> um, I would say the original one obviously is the most unique one because, I mean, let's we're going to do spoilers. If you haven't seen Friday the 13th by now, I'm so sorry for you because it's like 42 years ago. But uh, the, the ending was unique. Out of any, pretty much any horror film I've seen outside that one and then uh, Prom Night would be the most shocking, like, who the reveal of the killer is. Because I never would have yeah, suspected. I can't even count how many times over the years that I've accidentally revealed in like in discussions with people that Jason Voorhees, aside from it being like a, a quick like nightmare dream at the end, Jason Voorhees is not in the original Friday the 13th. No, just the little flashback sequences of him drowning, and then the end when he flips her over at the boat. And that mm-hmm. is about and it. It's, uh, and everyone's like, what? The mom is the killer in the original one? And I'm, I'm like, yeah, because... Uh, Victor Miller and Sean S. Cunningham, they wanted to do like the reverse psycho take. Yeah, well, I think it's funny in this movie is, or how it got started, Sean Cunningham actually goes off to Victor Miller, sends him a message. Well, they weren't know he had to call him and leave him a message. Um, it said, hey, I want to do this movie. Because at this point, I don't know if you know at this point, Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller, the things they've worked on before, were basically ripoffs of like Bad News Bears. They did a ripoff of that. They were doing ripoffs of all these movies, so... Sean Cunningham actually goes to Victor Miller. I want to rip off Halloween, do a rip off of Halloween. He's like, let's do almost everything word for word, blah, blah, blah of Halloween. We'll do this, this, and this. So I don't quite see the elements of a rip off of Halloween, but people keep telling me that it is. I just don't see it. Well, they did state that they were heavily inspired by the idea of Halloween, of it being a low budget horror based around a superstitious day like Halloween can be very superstitious day to most people. And like the dreaded, Oh, unlucky number 13, Friday the 13th. That's a superstitious day. So like, Oh, let's jump off from there. Maybe this will become a trend. I uh, yeah, that, that's what they're talking. Yeah. Cause I mean, they always talk about <clears throat> like the plots between Halloween and Friday the 13th. I don't really see similarities at all. I mean, but I, I suppose you could, you could put every slasher and say every slasher is the same, I suppose, but yeah, it's definitely one of those, um, group of kids whether it's like in a suburb or it's out in the middle of like the woods with cabins and they're being picked off one by one they're not quite sure what's going on until like a kind of reveal towards the end which Halloween didn't really have but I, that's one thing I do like about Friday 13th because the original Friday 13th is very much a who done it slash or murder like oh who's committing these murders because every single time a kill happens you might see um, someone's gloved hand holding a knife you see um, these work pants, or you see like the work boots, and you never see or can tell if it's a male or female. You don't know who it is. I think a lot of people at one point, until they flash back at the restaurant, and you saw Steve at the restaurant with that lady at the diner. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people thought it was him until they realized, oh well, he can't be there and killing everybody at the same time. Yeah, because you see later on that, and the opening kill of the film is a girl who's hitchhiking who's supposed to be the cook for the camp. She accidentally gets picked up by the killer without realizing it in the killer's jeep, and she escapes and gets killed. But then we see later 
that he has that same model of Jeep that the killer had. So it's also leaning into the red herring of like, oh shit, is it him? And then he gets murdered. It's like, oh shit, it's not him. Is it one of the kids or is it a local? Who is it? That was such a low budget movie. I bet you it was the exact same Jeep too. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, estimates on the low range for the budget, budget put it around $500,000, which were for 1979 when it was filmed, that'd be the equivalent of maybe like one and a half million dollars or so. Well, I would say this is that the one thing what is a similarity between Halloween and Friday the 13th is the opening shot. Because the opening shot is this little kid, Michael Myers, looking as people are making out. This one, after they're done singing, Michael rode the boat ashore. Yeah, after they're done singing, mm -hmm. those two go make <laughs> out. And then you see the killer doing the exact same thing that Michael Myers did. So you see Mrs. Voorhees doing it like Mrs. Voorhees being the voyeur. Yeah, uh, going through, watching them doing it. And then kills them both. I mean, that was the difference because in obviously Halloween, he just kills the one. He kills his sister. But So mm -hmm. that, that would say that when the opening murder sequence, I would say, is heavily ripped off of Halloween. The other thing that people really draw conclusions with, with Halloween or Friday the 13th and more slashers later on, is that the whole, oh, sinners must be punished. It's kids doing drugs. It's kids having sex. So that's why they're being murdered. And it's been well known that both um cunningham and carpenter have come out and said not at all that's that's not the intention whatsoever it's just that's what kids do to make you scared of like oh these kids are they're they're laid back they're they're having fun their guard is down they're vulnerable the most that vulnerable was the whole stage thing. It's like they're vulnerable these are vulnerable positions well the thing that's funny is that you know the crazy far-right nutcases one, should like these movies if they're punishing people for having sex and drugs. But <laughs> secondly, they're dumb to think that, you know, we're talking late 70s, early 80s, where probably 50 to 60% of teenagers are smoking pot at the time. Or have tried, because mm -hmm. pot was bigger back then than it is now. So it's like... It was a huge, huge cultural shift happening with the generations at that time. Oh, big time. Big time. So, I mean... Um, these people doing whatever, what they want to um, say, what this movie's about. Oh, drug addicts and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, teenagers have sex. I mean, I didn't. I didn't have sex until I was, oh, God, 21, 22. That was the first sex I had with a woman. We'll leave it at that. And then I went gay after. So, any, no, I've always were gay, but. <laughs> anyway, so that, I mean, they were all, I mean, teenagers had sex and teenagers smoked pot. So it's like. I agree with you. It's like, you know, Cunningham and John, like, no, we're just, this is real life. So it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, uh, like you'd read up on like a lot of older film critics back in the day and they're like, oh, these are misogynistic movies that are anti-female. They're sexist. And they're just like, no, you're just misreading what we're giving you. We're just giving you like full front in your face, like how young people act. And you're just reading it into a completely different message. <laughs> all right, for all you people under the age of 35 or have never, ever went to uh film class or film school or anything or don't like old things, uh, two people, Cisco and Ebert, had a whole show in like 81, 82 about horror films, about how they're mis misogynistic, how they treat women, how it's always, we're going to attack, rape, and kill a woman. And it's like, okay, so what they're forgetting is in the, during the movie, same thing happened to men, but it's always the final girl scenario which started the change. People don't forget this too. That started to change very quickly, and people don't quite understand that. Um, I mean, for instance, the first Halloween, a girl survives. Second Halloween, two women survive. Then, if you go to Halloween four, 
Dr. Loomer survived also, but, um, and then you go straight to Friday the 13th part two, two survivors. Then part four, two survivors, but they changed it up. So it wasn't like always the same thing. Girl survived, girl survived. Friday the 13th gets a bad rap for that. And it's only a couple of movies with only a girl survived. Yeah. And it's like down the line, it would eventually become this like cultural thing with audiences that the final girl has to be the innocent, soft-spoken one, the good girl, et cetera. And if you go back to say like Friday the 13th, Sure, she's like soft spoken. She plays off a little coy, but she wasn't innocent. She was there smoking pot with people. She's playing strip monopoly. Yep. She's having a relationship with the older guy with the Jeep, etc. And same with in Halloween too. Lori Strode wanted to finger herself to Ben Tramer's picture. So I mean, she wasn't. She wanted to <laughs> have sex with him. But you know, I mean, you would also probably finger yourself to Ben Tramer. I probably would have too. Yes, I most likely. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so yeah, so I, it's so stupid that. I don't understand why horror films got a bad rap in that aspect. Because one, I was, when I, even when I was a little kid, I would say, why do people say that? Because I'm like, I'd always say, this is how I knew I was gay when I was like eight, nine years old. How come a woman always has to survive? Why can't it be that cute guy? Why can't it be this guy? <laughs> so, I mean, literally, it's like, so that's why I think I like part two a lot, by the way. But uh, going back, I mean, part one, obviously, it's, it's that same trope of, you know, the the people smoke pot, they get killed, they have sex, they get killed. But then again, the one who was also very innocent got killed, and that was Marcy. Not Marcy. Um, Annie, the cook, the opening no, girl. Not, that no, got no, the other one who got um, who got called to the archery range. Oh, yeah, her too. I think that may have been Brenda? Brenda, that's it, Brenda, yep. Yeah, because there's multiple female characters. But she, I mean, she was, she was just as equally innocent as Annie. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, let's be honest with you. What was wrong with Marcy? There was nothing wrong with Marcy or Annie. So, I mean, basically, the whole tripe of you get killed. So, that one about the whole um, you're a whore, you're a hooker, you do drugs, we're going to kill you. So that whole thing's out the window. Let's go back to the one thing that this one sets it apart. So, Halloween to me is a master in how great a horror film can be, not be low. I mean, let's. You haven't seen Black Christmas yet. It's, the original one is boring as fuck. It just is. It just, it's complete boring. Texas Chainsaw, I know you love, but the way it was filmed looked like it was filmed with uh, someone's camera they found in their attic they've had since 1936. Now, you get to Halloween, the cinematography, the music, the storyline, just everything seemed believable, so on and so on. But he, did, he wasn't into gore, this, no budget, no nothing. But Halloween started this kickoff of great films horror films that could be made in a great way. Now, let's fast forward a year and a half later to Friday the 13th, where in between Halloween and Friday the 13th, many slasher films, horror films were done. But this one put gore on the map. It took off from Dawn of the Dead, because Dawn of the Dead was mm -hmm. made right before that, and they wanted, they wanted Tom Savini. Oh my God, look what you did here. Not only do we want to make a horror film, we want to make a gory horror film. And that's what I think Friday the 13th should get the credit for, as much as I love Halloween, but Friday the 13th really should get the credit for creating this whole genre of... And the thing, how do I put it without sounding like a fucking moron? Um, well, it's, it's very much like actually putting a little bit more gore in the forefront, whereas Halloween, it's more implied gore. And also, yeah. if you really go back and really analyze the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's implied gore. Yeah. You finally get to Friday the 13th where... They start to show more blood, and then as each sequel progresses, it's more and more and more blood to where slashers in the late 80s just become a fucking bloodbath. But yeah, the original Friday 13th is very much like 
All right, let's show a little bit more this time. Let's just tease them with a little bit more. Oh, the, oh, look, there's blood coming out of the throat now. Like, oh, let's push a oh, little bit more. I thought they were taste. Honestly, I thought it was done. I, this is what I meant. I was going to sound stupid. I thought it was done artfully. I mean, the mm -hmm. axe going through the head, the the, the arrow through the neck. Um, the one thing I didn't understand, I mean, the slash in the throat of Annie. All right, the one kill I did not understand, or two of them, is uh, Brenda and Bill. Mm -hmm. How the fuck did... What, what the hell happened to Bill? What the fuck was that? <laughs> I mean, no, seriously. He was died. definitely like... To this day, I don't know I feel, how the fuck was, Bill it, got killed. Because it's odd, because like he was killed off screen, and then she posed his body... Up on the door with the bows and arrows. <laughs> but yeah, that was the weird award that she literally, he was standing against the door, shot an arrow, hit him in the eye, he got stuck, and then she started stabbing him everywhere? I mean, I don't, I don't know, that, that was the weird, because he was stabbed everywhere, that, he, she fucking really took it out on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's very much like, uh, Pamela Voorhees, Jason's mother, is very much like a, a paranoid, schizophrenic character, where she hears Jason's voices to kill people, all kinds of shit, and she just goes fucking crazy. <laughs> No, I did. I don't, I, I don't know if you've done this, but and, and if anybody's listening, listen to this. What I do, I go down rabbit holes on YouTube and I'll do um, horror film fan conventions. By far, the best ones are the Friday the 13th. They're the most entertaining, the most fun. They're just incredible. Halloween are proud of the big three. Halloween's probably one of the most boring ones. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street can be fun. But uh, Friday the 13th, for whatever reason, the actors, the fans, everything is just incredible when they get together. Very very much like a, like you can tell back in the day, like when you watch the films, you can tell that the actors had fun just making the movies and they carry that energy to the convention. Oh, yeah. just you know, So it's, what's her name? Um, oh, Betsy Palmer. Betsy Palmer. Why I love Betsy. I don't know why I can't remember her name. So all of a sudden, you know, for the first five, six years of fan, because she really didn't show up or whatever. Then she started showing up and she's like, oh my God, these people love me. And so for the last 20 years of her life, she was going to these fan conventions and she was asking fans, why do you come and say you love my character? Why you love me? And she said a lot of the people that she talked to were people that did not have good parents, didn't have their back, and they saw her protecting her son. <laughs> and that's why a lot of people loved uh, Pamela Voorhees. It's kind of funny with Betsy's story because it's like, she was an actress in like the 40s and 50s and she like and 60s kind of like she like kind of unofficially retired for like almost 20 years until Friday 13th when she was she first got the script and she's like this is fucking shit this is trash she throws it across the room yeah but then she sits back and she's like you know what fuck I need, I need a little more money I can get myself a new car with yeah, this paycheck they're about down, to give me yeah. I'll go on the set for like the next two weeks that they need my character etc and then her character just becomes so infamous and explodes that. It kind of becomes the main like character she's ever played that she's most known for now. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, and here's the thing too. So it's like, and she also got paid a lot for her cameo in part two. Then they wanted her to do something stupid in part three. She's like, I'm not going to be in the water and jump out. So they, she refused to do that one. Then the remake comes along, and they ask her, "We want not the remake. Freddy vs. Jason comes along. They ask her to be in that. Now, Freddy vs. Jason had a huge budget, right?" Remember how we yeah. talked about how Freddy vs. Jason, the people who wrote this movie, just none of them knew what the fuck they were doing? Like, come on, Freddy afraid of fire, Jason afraid of water. Dumb. Big budget, all these things. So besides the fact they didn't invite Kane Hodder back to be Jason, which is bad in itself, they went to, they went to Betsy Palmer. They offered her scale, and she had to fly her own self out 
and pay for her own hotel. She's like, I would have lost money doing this. So I said, no. So the producers of that really fucked up when they could have had a, a killer thing. Just having her in the movie would have made that movie better. Mm-hmm. It's also funny that like throughout the conventions over the years, kind of like in a playful way, she'd always be like, I don't know who this guy says he is that calls himself Jason with the hockey mask. My Jason died back in the 50s. I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw one convention with her where they had, I think, all the living Jasons were together. And she said, I want you to, so she's, they're all get introduced. She gets introduced, she gets introduced last. And then she goes, I want you all to give a round of applause to my boys, <laughs> which I thought was so cool. And she always wore a similar sweater to all the fan conventions, whether it was white mm-hmm. or dark blue or whatever. It was always similar to that gray one she wore in the first one. And it was never the original intention to even make like sequels that would even have like Jason Voorhees to begin with because like when they were getting like coming up with things for like part two and shit like that producer Steve Miner he was very much like he's not really supposed to be a villain he's supposed to be a figment of Mrs. Voorhees imagination and he wasn't really actually there to pull Alice into the water that was just her having like a fit of a nightmare so he was kind of confused as to why they'd even bring him in like in the flesh because he's supposed to be dead and they're like you know what let's run with it and then boom fucking explodes well here's the thing though it's like so here's what bothers me John Carpenter, Sean Cunningham, Steve Miner, and um, what's his name? Um, I just mentioned Tom Savini. So John Carpenter, oh, I never wanted to do a sequel to Halloween. I'm like, well, dickhead, I love you. You know, you're one of my favorite horror film directors, but you left it open. Now Friday the 13th. Oh, we never wanted to do a sequel. Oh, but yet you have this mythical deformed thing come out of the water, pull someone into the ground, and you don't want to do Like, come on. And then Tom Savini's like, that's why he didn't do part two was because he did not want to do a part of, like, I already created this, he's not supposed to be this, he's not supposed to be that. When they say they had no intention of doing sequels, or that, that to me that just is like, maybe because sequels were not around back then, I and mean, that's when they first started for the most part. But, I mean, you had anthologies and all that, like Godfather 1 and 2 weren't really sequels per se. Then you had Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, where it's more in, in return, were, were like a trilogy kind of thing. I mean, sequels were very rare. You had Jaws 1 and 2, um, and then things like that, but I mean, it wasn't like, it was a very rare, it's not like now. How many, how many movies you see come out now and automatically have a sequel to it? Yeah, it's like almost how most films are marketed now. Yeah, exactly. So, well, by the way, going back to Jaws, the story... Uh, like, like it, what would eventually become all the cliches. Yes, exactly. And it all started with Jaws 2, actually. But instead of marijuana, it's like, it it's like oh, it's, it's little bits from this movie, and then... Few years later, little bits from this movie. Few years later, little bits from this movie, and over time, like eventually, like these horror filmmakers into like the early into the mid '80s, then like, oh, let's take elements from this, take elements from that, take elements from this, and start meshing all this together. Yeah, it's very much like, oh, how can we get young people that are into situations where they're going to be their guards down? What are young people going to do to get their guards down? They're going to have fun together. They're going to party. They're going to do shenanigans. Exactly. Make jokes. Uh, when, they're, when, they're, when something funny happens, then boom, that happens. Like All of a sudden, in um, Friday the 13th, she gets out of bed. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. He says something funny, grabs his joint, lights it up, boom, arrow through the neck. Uh, Teddy makes a funny joke, and then he sees somebody walk into that room, goes in there, boom, killed off screen. So, I mean, and right before that, they had all these funny stuff. So, I mean, but here's what I liked about Friday the 13th. Unlike the other ones, um, two tried to emulate it, but part one was all on its own about the townspeople knew about the place. They talked about it. They talked about the Kirk. Because it began with the truck driver and Annie. 
But I thought that whole scene of Annie walking through the town, that was more of a psycho vibe because you think that's the main, that's Marion Crane or whatever. That's the main character walking through the town that she's going to be the girl. You know, and then all of a sudden she talks to this person at the place and they run into Ralph. Ooh, you're doomed. You'll all be doomed. Sounds like something from Scooby-Doo. But anyway, yeah. Because it, it, it plays off the idea of like a superstitious like vibe because like Friday 13th, I'm like, oh, it's unlucky number superstitious or the town superstitious, et cetera. Exactly. And then you get the truck driver driving her and then uh, talking. And so she has this big open. I mean, honestly, even though she was barely in the movie, she probably had more lines or just as many lines as everybody else in the movie. Yeah, she was like there the entirety of like the first 10 minutes yeah, of the film. Exactly. She literally, honestly, plus she was the only one outside of Alice that had a uh, running sequence of the killer chasing her. No one else did. Mm -hmm. It was just her. So it was just those two. Everybody else was just either killed right away, killed off screen, or just killed sitting there. Because like that one was like a full big chase sequence versus many of the other kills were very much like um, stalking people and cornering them into like a small area. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, that, that was just a shock. And it's like, I keep looking at people like, oh, about this girl. Oh, she was barely in the movie. I'm like, well, no. She probably had more lines than all the other people because she was like, for I'm almost the first. I was the first. What would you say? Minute and a half of her just walking before yeah. even words were spoken. About maybe a minute, minute and a half. Yeah, just the camera focused on her, and then her in the diner, then her with Ralph, her in the truck, then her in the car, and then her being chased. I mean, like literally, yeah, it was a good chunk of the beginning of the movie. Because it's very much like. We're concentrating on her character at this moment as this prologue because we have to set up the idea of like this place, like, oh, there was murders that happened like like seventeen years ago. Oh, there's like oh, it's kind of creepy because it keeps getting like shit keeps getting broken into, shit keeps getting broken, like there's like, ooh, like so and so's gonna get you. Yeah. Oh, can we talk about how both Annie's from Halloween and Friday the 13th both had curly black hair, both had their throat slit? <laughs> <laughs> I just realized, I just thought of that. I'm like, oh my God, wait, they're both named Annie. They both have curly black hair. They both have their throat slit. Yeah, they both had their breath winded because one Annie was running through the forest until she couldn't run anymore. And then um, the one in Halloween, she was very much being choked the wind out of her and then getting stabbed yeah. in the neck. <laughs> yeah, so the, I mean, there we go. There's, there's a massive similarity right there. <laughs> but here, all right, so here let's all right, so we got Annie's murder, and then we we go a little bit further. Well, not all right. So before Annie's murder, we get the two. Which, by the way, the first guy who gets killed in the Friday the Thirteenth, that guy was kind of hot. Just saying. And not for me, but for you, yes. <laughs> so these two get killed, which you see his murder, but you don't see the girl's murder. You just see that the bright light flashes away, but you see his murder gets stabbed in the stomach. Okay, boom. Fast forward, then we get Annie, and then Annie's she's a goner. And then my favorite part is when we get back to the camp, the new people check in, and then there's about where Steve takes off. They're all having fun. And then that crazy motorcycle cop shows up. Y'all on the grass, man, the weed, the hash. There's no, I love Ted. There's no crazy purple hair. He was a very late addition because um, Victor Miller, he was like, yeah, he wasn't in any of my drafts of the script. They All of a sudden, they just decided to shoot that scene that one day. I don't understand what was up with that cop. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. It didn't make any sense, but it, it, I think it. I think that was their way of saying to make the audience feel that, oh, not everybody's going to be killed because the police are going to check, check up on them. Because later on in the movie, you see Steve with the sheriff. And the reason why Victor Miller hated them adding that scene was his argument was, oh, I didn't want that cop to be there. 
because I didn't want it to feel like it's an easily accessible location. I wanted it to be more of an isolation. Which, yeah, which is more like part three, actually, but... And, like, if you look at if you look at his fucking bike, you can literally tell that the word police on there is literally just, like, they went to their nearest, like, little convenience store to pick up those little, like, letter stickers yes, you put on your mailbox yeah. and just put on police. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so that was an interesting scene because um, I don't know what they, – they must have got a guy like, – this guy goes – but he started going to the fan convention. He's a big draw at the fan conventions too. <laughs> this guy so it's really good you get you really got to watch these youtube videos of the friday the 13th fan conventions they're actually kind of epically awesome um but then so he disappears he goes and then what two minutes later they walk into the kitchen and we see ralph again uh mr gorney played a great ralph and I, I gotta tell you that's the only thing i hate about part two is they killed ralph off which is so stupid i don't know why steve yeah, Miner could have saved there. him for a little bit longer if they're going to kill him off like maybe not kill him off in the first like third of the film First third is like the first fucking quarter of the film. They could get killed him off right away. <laughs> I hated that. I told the others. I'll tell you. Ralph Gorney to me was the embodiment of Friday the 13th because he did the voiceover for part seven. I don't know if you know that or not. When they were talking all about Jason and all that, you know that was him doing the voiceover? Oh. Yep. That was him doing the voiceover in part seven. Bob, in, the, in the beginning of the movie, that was him. Uncredited voiceover by Ralph Gorney or um, John Gorney. His last name was Gorney. I think it was John Gorney or whatever. But everybody says that out of all the actors, he would have appreciated this crazy fandom movie with the conventions than anybody else because he really took to the role and loved it. So I wish he would, he would have been alive a little bit longer. But Because you have fun playing like the town drunk crazy guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I really think they screwed up totally killing off in part two. But part one, I love Crazy Ralph in part one. Because was Crazy Ralph crazy? No. That's the whole ironic part about him. Crazy Ralph. Oh, when he gets drunk, he'll go spreading the gospel. But no, he literally is telling people the truth. Get out of here. You're doomed. And he literally explains to everybody. He's trying to warn them. He's not being crazy. And when they have him in there for the jump scare where he comes out of the pantry, it kind of sets up this false, another red herring to the audience of like, oh, is the town crazy? Like crazy enough to be the one that's going to be killing people or not? Like it's just another like little, ooh, like get get back at the audience. Well, and that's why they put that, that psycho cop in there too on the bike to make him think, okay, is this guy also... I mean, anybody could have been anybody that you've seen outside of the camp. It could have been either Steve tormenting these kids. It was either, I don't know why I say kids. They're all in their early 20s. So they always, and every time in the reviews for these movies, they say teenagers. None of these people are teenagers. Yeah, they're all explicitly like college-age kids. Yeah. And they're, so anyway, so you got um, all these young people there. So they're thinking all these adult people like the Steves, the one cop, uh, uh, Crazy Ralph. It could be literally anybody. So you have no idea. So those are your three main suspects. And Mrs. Voorhees is not even in the picture. You don't even know who the hell Mrs. Voorhees is. Yeah, and like later on in the film, when we finally get like the final, like building into the final re reveal and we see the Jeep pull up and it's like, and like Alice, she's running out the door screaming, thinking it's Steve because she, she thinks it's his Jeep. Yeah. And we, as the audience, realize, no, he's dead. That's not him. That's not his Jeep. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. It's the killer. And then out comes a woman in her 50s, and everyone's like, Oh, that's not the killer. Wait, can't what? Be the killer. Yeah. Oh, the people are like, That can't be the killer. Mm hmm. And then the more she keeps talking, and the more she doesn't seem as phased by the dead bodies as she's studying the dead bodies, and like it sets off this uneasy thing of like, This woman doesn't seem right. No, and plus, also, let's go back to this too. Now, up until the, even after then, how many horror films did you see? And what year did you start seeing it where a woman was the killer? It was very rare. 
until uh, Urban Le- this other movie called Happy Birthday to Me, which came out in like 82, 83, was the only other one from the 80s that I remember it was a woman killer in a slasher film. You know, I mean, all these movies, it's like, you, you, that was a shock too. I think also when that came out, no one could believe, oh, a woman's not going to be the killer. So let's just stop Let that talk right now. a woman that looks like she's in her 50s. Yeah, that too. And then there's not, even when she jumped out of the Jeep, I still think a lot of people probably when they saw it didn't believe that was the killer either. Because it sets off another like false expectation. It's like, oh, the killer's coming. Like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. And then she goes in there. She sees uh, Brenda's body who was thrown through the window. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh. So, I mean, then. And it's, it's like the more she's talking, the more you're like, why is she acting like this? How the <laughs> fuck did Brenda get killed? What the hell was around Brenda, by the way? Uh, it looked like a rope but i it's been kind of unofficially confirmed that she was in fact killed with an arrow but when she took when she, when she grabbed the body i'm like somehow there's like she had rope like wrapped around her so she could throw her through the window like cleanly and not have shit flailing around or some shit i think it could be insinuated that she used the rope to help like drag her and throw her through or some shit like that but yeah because she was killed by an arrow but granted we don't see it, we can hear her scream Oh, yeah, because the lights go on, and then the lights go off. Lights go on, you hear a scream, then the lights go off. So, and then, um, yeah, so it's like you don't know what the hell happened to her. But then, the, see, this one, I see, I like Friday in the fact that Mrs. Voorhees is fucking with their minds because when they go look for Brenda in her cabin, they see an axe laying in her bed with a little blood on there. And at one point, to draw some people away from each other, she's using, like, a little kid voice, like, Help me! Yeah, yeah. In the distance to draw them away from each other. Yeah, I think the weirdest kill scene of them all. Well, okay, so the two not the two off two of the three off camera murders of uh, Ted and Brenda, because they both got duped. I mean, they were not like um, like Bill obviously went to do whatever he was doing and got killed, but the other two pretty much got duped. Well, actually, no, I guess Bill too. The lights went off, and Bill went to go put the lights back on. So actually, three of them got duped to how they got killed. She literally was smart enough to say, okay, I'm going to turn the lights off, have him go back. I'm going to put the lights on at the camp, make a noise, and boom. And then I'm going to call this guy over here and just walk across the, uh, the, the cabin, and then he went up there. So she literally like fooled all of them to get him up there. And then obviously we know how Steve got killed because she just came like, oh, he knows me. I'm just going to walk around. And, hey, what are you doing here? And then, There was actually, um, even though, <laughs> a f- funny way to word this fact, but even though it's like, oh, this is a movie about we're filming about these teenagers being killed by their actors, but they're not really being killed. There actually was an actual kill on the set. And it was when they go into the one cabin. Uh, I know and you're talking I don't about yep. which one it is. They find the snake. They're like, oh, my God, there's a snake in here. Uh. And that's it wasn't a prop snake that they used for the shot with the machete coming down and killing the snake. It was an actual snake they killed. Yep, actual and, black snake. Yep. And the guy who was working on the set, who that was his pet snake. Tom, Tom Savini and a few of them, they're like, oh, we want to borrow your snake for like this like extra like little scare we wanted to put into the movie. Like, oh, can we borrow? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And then they never told that snake's owner that they were going to kill the snake on screen. And he just like started crying. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, because you could tell they, they, they don't have good technology back then to make that happen. <laughs> no, not with the money that they had to stretch out to what they needed to do, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. And it was very much like, I, I don't remember which one's idea it was, whether it was um minor or cunningham or miller but 
one of them with Tom Savini came up with the idea of having that scene because it's very much like, oh, it's still like maybe like one third into the movie. And we want to set up the idea that these characters, like at least one or, or two of them, like would be enough to be like, oh, they're not going to scream in one ray. Maybe like some of these kids have the balls to stand up for themselves for what's about to happen for them. But did Victor Miller really have much to do with the movie, the filming of it? No, uh, he was there most of the m- most of the time on set for the original one. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't seem like a person that would want to be in. Because he just he is he's a uh, I don't know how to put this, Wait, but for what like from what he's described, it just became like bad blood eventually, and like how I don't know how he, how you describe it, but basically, I had the series being overblown and got out of his hands, and them also not him not getting like proper residuals, him getting shunned out of a lot of stupid shit with like Cunningham and them. And he's like, you know what? This is stupid. Well, they did ask him the right part too of being involved. He wanted, he wanted nothing to do with it. He's like, I, just, I, just, I like already... how they nudged Carpenter's shoulder to get him to write the screenplay for Halloween too. Yeah. As he was drunk. I think he said he was drinking a six pack of old style or slits or strolls. Mm, Cause whatever. he just didn't care. And he was like, this is just a paycheck for me. Yeah, he's like, Oh, well, you know, fuck it. She's uh, she's the bro. She's a, she's a sister. Like, ooh, ooh, twist. Oh, even though I can't explain it, boom, there it is. Yeah, so it made no <laughs> sense. But I mean, yeah, so he just... But I love Friday, Halloween 2 was a very good movie. Uh, it just that the whole twist with the sister thing was kind of weird. But, uh, but, but the Halloween, or Friday the 13th, I think that the ending part, uh, before we get to the ending part, is... I don't know if you ever noticed this, uh, the beheading scene. The head comes off the wrong way. Oh, yes. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> that's very much how they had to, like, pull the strings or like move the uh, uh, mannequin body, et cetera. It just didn't quite work. No, because she, they're cutting it from the left side. All of a sudden the right side comes off. And I, I remember like, I, I said there was some kind of interview with um, Adrian who played Alice, the final girl at some convention. And it was very much like, Oh, because the final girl trope of, Oh, do you think you've survived of being the final girl? Because you mostly presented yourself kind of as the most innocent part of the group. And Adrian, she's like, no, I survived because I just, had a good swing of the machete. That's the only reason why I survived. <laughs> and then she's, I remember when she talked about that fight scene on the beach. She said, oh, no, we were really fight, We were really banging each other's heads into the ground and everything else. Yeah, because at least it's sand, so you're not going to get too hurt filming that scene. Yeah, <laughs> and then um, when it was when you couldn't tell it was the two women fighting, then it was I think it was Savini and his friend that were actually doing a lot of the like hard physical stuff. But the mm-hmm. close-up stuff was them like pulling the hair and all that, but the... I don't know how they did it, because actually that part, the editing part actually worked there, except with the hands going down the very hairy knuckles of Stavros, oh, yes. <laughs> of Stavros's knuckle, or whatever his name is. His knuckle, she, and then to this day, well, until she dies, she was saying, those are not my hands. I do not have hairy male knuckles. <laughs> so she, she got a kick out of doing it. I mean, after, after a while, she really embraced the role. Yeah, she was like, you know what, looking back, that was kind of a fun experience, and now that there's this whole fandom, why don't I just go out and have some fun now? And she made a living doing it because she got paid. she was the biggest draw of all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't uh, the Jasons because there was how many of them? Like at one point, there was six Jasons, seven Jasons. Yeah, there was a number of actors through the years. So I can't wait until we talk about part two and talk about the Jason controversy in that one. Oh yes, because <laughs> there's like there's so much you can dive into with the entire like Friday 13th series. Cause there's, I think a total of 12 movies now. So there, there, there's like, you can pick and choose between whatever episode goes on, which the, the series is, is so deep. 
Well, not like philosophically deep, but deep as in there's just a shit ton of movies. <laughs> well, I would say each movie, honestly, as they progressed, I know people, a lot of people said, oh, they got shittier as they went on. That's not true. One was good. Two was very good. Uh, two was, to me, like I said, two was the best out of all of them. But three also brought us iconic status. Four changed the whole thing. And four is considered by a lot of people as the best one out of all of them. Yeah, a lot of people consider Ford to be like the height of the series. And then it goes like a little up and down after that, going more so down and then up and then down and then up and then down. Yeah, it's it's very much like the initial, like say like five movies are very much like, oh, we're very in your face. Like, oh, these are just like psychopathic killers that are not going to stop. They don't differentiate very much of like, oh, this is just like serial killers running around like, and then you get to, like, after that, the series slowly starts to become more and more supernatural, and that's where they lost me. Well, that's what part six, yeah, part six went from a person Because, like, now people. we finally have a zombie Jason, and I'm like, okay, now I'm done. <laughs> but I will say, I think the design for zombie Jason in part seven is my favorite design of zombie Jason. Well, because it made sense, actually. Like, you see, like, his spinal column and his rib cage. You see his, like actual skull eye socket for one of his eyes. It was like, it was fucking cool. No, it totally was. I mean, it was, I mean, the, the movie was, oh, I mean, I'm getting to like that movie more and more. I'm getting to appreciate it more. The thing with that one, it's really hard to believe is that Jason gets resurrected from the water right by the house. Then why is he fucking two miles away and walking back mm-hmm. toward the house? <laughs> so then why, when he just kills someone who was two miles away, how the hell is he in the water killing the other people? So that movie was just, I know what they tried to do. It was a decent attempt, but it was just, it was like, I mean, you got to have continuity. I don't know who, that's why I like basically the first one had pretty good continuity. There was no really major fuck ups as far as continuity goes in the first one. There's, this really wasn't, there was no like major flaws or mistakes. The second one, obviously the ending of the second one is the biggest mystery of all movie making ever is what the fuck the ending of the second one meant. We know the continuity of the third one. It's like, okay, why does he look different? And the reason why Steve Miner's like, eh, we're going to have him in a hockey mask this whole time. I don't want to spend money on makeup on the face. We'll just have his bald head. So and that was, to me, part three, even though part three was a good movie, that was the worst Jason face. One thing I think they should have done right or much earlier, because by the time they tried to do this, it was already way too late because the Jason character already stuck in pop culture was, I would have been like, okay, Here's this uh, Pamela Voorhees character. She's the murderer of the first film. Okay, second film. Oh, to have a connection there, let's say it's Jason Voorhees. Let's say he didn't drown. He ended up surviving out in the middle of the woods as a little kid, not figuring out how to get back to civilization. Oh, maybe number three should have been a completely different killer at all, like completely different, because they ended up trying to do that anthology idea a little bit too late with part five when everyone goes, there's a hockey mask killer, like, how, how, but Jason's supposed to be dead. Who is this? And it's revealed to be someone else. It's not Jason, but I'm like, okay, I see what you're going for, but it's, you waited a little too late to introduce this series as an anthology series. So it's not going to stick. See, I thought I, when I, when I heard part three was coming out when I was a kid, I was like, Oh my God. So I'm like, Oh, I bet the killer is going to be Paul this, this time. But no, they made it Jason again. Cause it would have been made more sense if they could have been Paul, but whatever. But who knows? I mean, no, like, no, Paul wouldn't have made sense anyway. I don't know who they could have, but I, for, for some reason as a kid, I always thought Paul was going to be the killer in part three. I have no idea why. There, I think there was some kind of idea tossed around. I don't remember which film it was going to be. It may have been one, one of the later ones. 
But at one point, I don't remember which producer came up with this idea, but they're like, why don't we introduce Jason's father? And that went around to their discussion board for like part six. Weeks. That was supposed like, to be you know part what? six. No, let's not do that. That was supposed to be part six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was going to be part six uh, with the father. But instead, they replaced the father with the um, cemetery caretaker. And then everyone like always would ask at the conventions, like Betsy Palmer is like, oh, like, how do you feel like w- like for your character, you personally, how do you feel about the backstory with Jason, like with the father, et cetera? And she's very much like, oh, I view it as very much like she got pregnant say in high school when she was like 17 or 18 and this guy left her when she got pregnant. So she's a single mother raising this kid doing like odd jobs. And that's how she got the summer job of being the cook at the camp. And because she couldn't afford to be away from her son, cause she's the only mother taking care of him by herself. She had to check Jason into the camp as a guest and that's where everything went happened. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I like that idea. That's very much of a centralized like more more of a centralized origin for her and her son that builds a bit better of a connection. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, yeah, but originally, like I said, part six, that was supposed to be, part six was going to introduce the father. But for some reason, the student, no, 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 we don't, because... <laughs> and like just random shit like that later on in the series is why I think the peak of the series is one through four. I would agree. No, but uh, yeah, I would say that. But I think part six is a standalone by itself. How six was an excellent. And plus six had the best Tommy Jarvis. Yeah, because like six really set up like, oh, this is what the franchise is going to be turned into. Or let's put some effort into this. But then after number six, they lose steam again. No, they, they just went fucked up again. I tell you, part six, honestly, part six probably is a standalone movie. Part six is probably one of the greater horror comedies, if not one of the best horror comedies ever made. It just is. It was it was the way it was made with the gore, the comedy, everything in there, the one liners, everything was perfect. Unfortunately it was too late because part five screwed everything up. Yeah, part five would have kind of made more sense if it wasn't part five and instead be part three. And I would say too, and part four has the best opening sequence out of all of them. And it's the it's the exact same um, set, the exact same farm from part three they're using in the beginning of part four. They're doing like they're cleaning up all the bodies. They're cleaning up Jason. They're talking about all this other stuff. So, I thought the opening of part four was also actually probably the best opening out of all of them. Oh yeah, like I remember like randomly like when they're not looking, Jason gets back up and just leaves, and I'm like, what? <laughs> and like they're trying to play it off back then. It's not supernatural. I'm like, okay, now he's had a machete, and I know he's had an axe through the front of his like skull. Like, come on now. You can't play that off that he's just some serial killer anymore. He's something else now. That's what you've turned that character into. Exactly. So you can't, I mean, but uh, part one, I mean, honestly, I love the ending of part one. All right, let me ask you this question. If you, if you look at the endings of, uh, let's compare Friday the 13th and Halloween, the endings. Which one do you think is more iconic? That's hard to say, guy. I think they're, they're honestly almost on equal level, but I think in terms of more well-known and more bigger of an ending in pop culture it would have to be halloween really you think so i I would say i mean i would say jason pulling her underwater like so many more people who know about halloween than they do friday 13th but then um i mean i like the ending of friday the The boy the little boy ma'am there was no boy the little boy pulled me under the water then he's still out there come on they didn't want to do a sequel for fuck's sake (laughs) I mean, I mean, yeah. It's still very much of like to me that ending is still, yeah. That's that's not some weird supernatural manifestation of Jason. That's her having like 
a fucking night terror trying to come down from the fucking last 24 hours. She's just experienced being hunted down by a serial killer. Right. And I do like the opening of part two where that was, you know, those all ad libs. She did it all herself. Oh yeah. On the phone call. It would have been so cool to have her be the, uh, Lori Strode of the Friday 13th series. But then she was like with, she had the stalker issues with obsessed fans. And she's like, you know what? This would have been a really cool career path, but I don't 100% feel safe anymore. So, yeah, I'll, I'll come back as long as we can get rid of my character. So maybe I get some of these people off my tail. And she totally regrets doing that to this day. She's like, she, she got really fucked up because she wanted to. She's like, I know I had to do what I had to do, but she really I think she really regrets the fact. I've seen interviews or comments about not regrets it, but hates the fact that she had to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that was, I mean, that was, I mean, her, I mean, I would say Final Girl-wise, Alice is probably, I would say she was the strongest Final Girl. Uh, I mean, I do like Amy Steele from Part 2 also, but I mean, after that, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to, it's like, yeah. Um, One thing I do like about the original film is when you're halfway through the movie, you don't know who's going to be the Final Girl or the Final Boy because they make an effort to like before people start to die, they make an effort to try to give everyone about the equal amount of like screen time. So it's like, Oh, who's, who's technically the main character? Like, who is it? Who's going to survive? And like, we don't know until maybe like the last like 30 minutes or so. And it's down to like Alice and the one other guy. And it's like, okay, now I can kind of see it's probably going to be her. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause it literally, um, honestly, when you have Annie in the beginning and they, they kill her off right away, it's like, you never, you did not know. You did not, you did not, everything was up in the air, like who was going to survive, who was going to be this. Because you literally, after that, you had no clue who was going to be the, I mean, now looking back, because all, they're all now formula movies, now you can go back and realize, yes, you can figure out right away who the final girl is going to be. But back then you didn't, because now it's just all formula. That movie was very, it, honestly, like I said, it was way ahead of its time because it mixed gore, because let's, let's be honest, George Romero created the gore craze with Dawn of the Dead. Because you never saw anything like that on screen before. When he did that, that just opened the floodgates for all these horror films to put add gore in there. All these slasher films, and they did. But like on, on like the gore thing, it's very much like, okay, yeah, maybe if it gets a little too gory, we won't have as much of a wide release in theaters because there's more restrictions on theaters. However, now that it's like the late 70s and the 80s, we do like we mentioned in the uh, demons episode, it's home video. So it's like, Oh, we can get away with a lot more if we know we're going to make a lot of sales on home video now. Yeah. And then with Tom Savini was talking about the, uh, the, the blood scene with the arrow through the neck. He's like, Oh my God, the pump's not working. The pump's not working. So he had to blow on it himself through the mouth. And that's why the blood looks like it has a couple of bubbles in a moment. Yeah. And it blows up because the original one, the blood just squirted out. And then the, 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 the theater's like, Nope. Or the MV, you cannot put, you cannot put that in there. You gotta cut this scene down. So it's just a little gurgle of the blood, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really weird that uh, I don't know. It's, just, it's to me, it's strange how the MPA works, what their decisions are on everything, and how they come down on like Friday the Thirteenth or uh, My Bloody Valentine that they're too gory, they're too sick, they're too diseased. Yeah, it's very much like a slow process over time because like the original ratings were very much like essentially just G and PG. And then eventually, like, more and more got added over the years. And I love how George Romero, every movie he made, the first three, the first three children, he didn't care. He, they all went out unrated. 
I'm glad he stuck to his guns. I know for small people like the Sean Cunningham's of the world and the, the minor Cunningham and the Camille, they had to do what the studio said, but but at least Halloween, I mean Halloween, wow, I'm on Halloween on the mind. Friday the 13th, we're both in agreement that this is an excellent movie. It's your favorite of the bunch, which we will do a Friday the 13th labeling one day. Uh, Friday, the, this one is like my second or third favorite uh, of the bunch. Um, but as more as I watch part six, it's like part one becomes either three or four now. <laughs> no, I do like part one. I really do. It, it's nostalgic. It's all, like we said, it's like of its time, way ahead of its time. I think the, not many horror films back then, maybe two that I know of in my head where there was a female killer. Mm-hmm. And all the other things in there too. I mean, granted, yes, some of the, the, the craziness in there, but it was just so cool. It was like a whodunit and then the, the end reveal and then the whole... Kill her, mommy. Kill her. She can't hide. And then people think that Jason goes, ch, ch, ch. <laughs> no, it's kill, kill, kill. Because like kill, mom, kill, kill for me. Kill yeah, for me. yeah, kill, 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 mom, mom, mom. So kill her, mom, kill. So it's that like they went from kill her, mommy to kill, 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 mom, mom, mom. So but that's I think that was so cool. Like Friday the Thirteenth, the first one introduced a lot of epic stuff, and that one guy I think got ripped off more than Halloween did. Oh, yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. In my opinion, Friday the 13th was ripped off way more than Halloween. Because it was much more accessible to rip off with lower budget because it was, it was just much more easily to replicate a film like that than it would be for Halloween. Oh, the biggest ripoff on Friday the 13th was Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, the biggest ripoff. Uh, without, at least in Sleepaway Camp, they had actual teenagers. Because <laughs> it, was, it was like... It would have been like a Friday Thirteenth movie if the camp was actually open and not during like that phase of them trying to fix it up and get it open. And you know, part five, by the way, people don't realize this; they don't get credit for it. part five. Introduced gay characters. Oh yeah, um, it's also been like fucking fifteen years since I've seen that movie, so I don't quite remember all the details. Well, how many straight guys do you have in the middle of the woods driving to a party, all dressed in leather from head to toe, that are straight with earrings in? So. Just saying. Very much of an 80s stereotype for a gay character. Exactly. So even now, going back, people think that Vinny and uh, the other guy were gay characters. Because the other guy was very like, come on, Vinny. Stop it. I'm going to be mad. I'm going to leave. So they made it kind of like, yeah. So to me, it reminds me of the actual two characters from Rope. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the stereotype of the 40s of gays. These are the stereotype of the 80s of gays. I mean, they were definitely... I mean, let's be honest. I mean, they were they were they were gay characters without being saying they were gay. So I do give the director credit, even though he made a bad movie. I do give him credit for that. Then introducing uh, without saying it, two gay characters. But I mean, that, that things stick out in all the movies. But part one, like I said, is it is iconic because it's the first one, and and all the other ones ripped off of that one also. So, so Friday the Thirteenth was also very unique in that it was the one woman survivor that kicked all the actual stuff off, unless you want to count Alien. I also just love how, like, the original one is just so more simplistic. It's very much like a straightforward story, like, a really quick horror film with just a handful of characters and takes place within only, like, a 24-hour period. It's short, it's short, sweet, simple, to the point, but not to say that that's a negative. It pulls all that part off, like, wonderfully, though. And, like, with all these people's successes, it further proves the point that the stereotype does not work, that oh, horror films are just for, like, lower-tier actors, nothing can really be done with them, they're stuck in that. Like, no, like, 
some people like start off with horror and they still have successful careers. So your stereotype doesn't really fit. I mean, there's a lot of horror films out there that people get their starts in like these uh, slasher flicks and look at their careers go their career go far. Well, what am I talking? Their career go far. Their <laughs> careers go far. So I mean, yeah. All right, so Clinton, um, why don't you do your typical? Do you have your thing pulled up? Well, not your thing. Do you have the information pulled up about the original Friday the Thirteenth? Um, basically, like when you're looking at the original Friday the Thirteenth, uh, over on IMDb we have a six point four out of ten, which is still, yeah, that's pretty lukewarm for a horror film, especially on somewhere like IMDb. And then no, we I go call that Han Tomatoes. Solo. I call that I call that Han Solo cool, not Luke. Oh my god. <laughs> But then on Rotten Tomatoes for the original one, we've got uh, the only fresh ratings for any Friday 13th movie ever made is the original one. At critics, it's 63%, and audiences, it's at 60%. And both those numbers are, on the other, on either side, the highest for any Friday 13th movie ever made on Rotten Tomatoes with critics and audiences. <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, they literally they go, how's a dead guy killing people? But yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, it was, Friday the 13th was a very good movie, and it was a very unique movie. And the one score on Rotten Tomatoes that might surprise you for being the lowest with critics is actually part three. Yeah, because they didn't like the... Well, with critics, But it's like, yeah. it's like slow, so low compared to the other ones you'd figure would be low. It's like almost impossible for it to be that low. It's only 7%. Say, like, Jason Takes Manhattan, and that's like 12%. It's like, how... Do a couple critics like that one better than the third one? <laughs> because they're dumb. Because people are idiots, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's like the forgotten movies are. I think two and three are very forgotten movies in a lot of the fan base, unfortunately. Yeah, because like they're they're kind of skimmed over because people are more so involved with like four and six and stuff like that. Yeah, but I think uh, one, two, and three are in their own right. I call it the original. Tr- I mean, even part four, the first four. Around their own, a great movie. Part five, yeah. Part six, good. Part seven, I'm getting to learn to like because now that I know like half the cast was gay and lesbian, so that's kind of cool. Eight, I'll never like. Eight, I will vomit when I watch. I cannot stand part eight. Part nine, I think is disgusting as hell. Part ten, I like a lot actually. Yeah, the sci-fi one. Yeah, that's a great one. I think so. Well, cool. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, Clinton, thank you very much for the information of. Why uh, Friday the 13th Part 3 sucked, uh, it should not, but yes. <laughs> I'm glad we're in agreement. We both loved uh, Part 1, and Quentin, tell me what our next one is going to be. All right, so stay with us, because uh, next week, our next episode is going to be covering uh, Phantasm from 1979, a very unique sci-fi-ish horror film. We'll get more into that in that episode. (laughs) Yes. All right. Take care, everybody, and thank you for listening. See ya. Bye-bye.